0: The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. This means that we donate 1% of our time and 1% of our revenue to conservation. If you want to find out how you or your business can get certified or learn more about the organization, visit fishandwildlife.org. This is the 9 Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Friday everyone and welcome back to another awesome episode. We have a uh, a bit of a Hunter profile, big buck story all kind of wrapped into one. We're going to be talking with guest Vance Bowman, and he's out of Oklahoma, and he's gonna walk us through a little bit about how he got into bow hunting, how he's uh, approached deer hunting in Oklahoma, and uh, then we get into the story of a recent deer that he killed that uh, he had several years of history with. It's an excellent episode, just like every episode that we put out here. Um, you know, just the details. Uh, the The success is in the details, and you listen to him talk about how he learned from failure. Another common Uh, thing that we talk about here on uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles. We talk about failure, how he turned that into success, how he put himself in the right position, and eventually the deer came through and he smoked it. So um, just a really awesome episode that I'm sure you guys are definitely going to enjoy. Before we get into the uh, episode, though, I do want to ask a favor from you guys. If you guys could go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave a review. Uh, If if you're so inclined to leave a five-star review uh, with maybe a short comment of why you love this podcast, that would really help me out. I really appreciate that. Um, Also, uh, if you could go to uh, Facebook and Instagram and uh, make sure you're following there. I just finished recording, epi- recorded, uh, finished filming, I guess, episode number one of the Nine Finger Kitchen. So please keep an eye out for that. We're going to be launching that probably in the next couple weeks. Uh, we still have to do the editing on it, but uh, I made venison meatloaf and uh, I mixed some drinks and uh, I paired it with alcohol and, and uh, just kind of shared the story of my, fir- you know, the experiences that I've had with Wild Game over the years. And I think the next episode, we're going to do walleye fish tacos, uh, another one of my favorite recipes. So we're starting the uh, the series off with two big recipes. And when I mean big recipes, these are simple recipes that anybody can make. Uh, you know, they're not, uh, I always joke, I joke about, you know, we're not using call fat testicles or buttholes uh, in these recipes. We're just, uh, you know, the... Things that you can cook when you got a family, uh, when you get when you're crunched on time, and uh, you know, kids are in, kids are in activities or whatever. So, um, those are the recipes that we're going to kind of be sharing on the uh, Nine Finger Kitchen. So, we do have to do a commercial today. For first thing I want to do is uh, let you guys know that Vortex Optics has recently recently opened up something called. Vortex Edge. Now, you need to go check that out. Go check out Vortex Edge. It's like this gigantic facility that they just opened where they are teaching people how to shoot guns and uh, shoot rifles and be accurate, gun safety. I think they're even going to be putting on these major in-depth classes that, uh, that really anybody who shoots a gun should really focus on Uh, so look look at Vortex Optics Uh, you can go to VortexOptics.com and check out the Vortex Edge Uh, it's a huge huge thing that they're just unveiling Uh, on top of that make sure you you know the next time you're looking at uh, a pair of optics whether it's a rifle scope a rangefinder, pair of binoculars a spotting scope that you guys check out Vortex Optics these guys are participants in the community in the industry that they market in so that means that they're giving back and uh, I'm a huge fan of working with companies that give back in some way shape or form and these guys are definitely doing that uh, and they have uh, they have awesome optics for affordable prices so uh, vortexoptics.com go check out uh, their website check out all their optics uh, the next company I want to touch on is, is Wasp and I chuckle every time I say this because they're there's products that I like, and then there's products that I love. And Wasp Broadheads are are those products. There's a broadhead company that I love. And I, I'll tell you this. It's because I'm confident. Every time I put a broadhead from Wasp in an animal, uh, it's going to die. I mean, it they cause a shit ton of damage. Um, and they destroy everything in their path they're american made they are made from the best possible materials and when you have good engineering good design good you know i should say great great materials great design um, great uh, you know everything great people that work behind the product what you have is a product that I, I feel confident in. And if I have any questions, I can call the company up. They're going to answer and they're going to uh, point me in the right direction on how to fix a problem. I right, mean, I'm I think my broadheads aren't tuned right. Well, here, let's try this you know try this try this try this whatever you know and more companies need to be like that if you ask me so uh I'm a huge fan of the boss four blade fixed blade that's what I'm going to be using on my elk hunt this year potentially uh and then in the deer in the whitetail woods uh, I think I'm pr- probably going to stick with the jackhammer mechanical uh that <laughs> that is a destroyer of deer worlds because uh I've killed more deer in my life with a jackhammer than any other broadheads you know any other broadheads combined uh just been a wasp fan pretty much my whole my whole bow hunting career so uh, wasparchery.com and if you want to save uh, use a discount code You can save 20% off your purchase by using the discount code 9FINGERS, that's the number 9, 9FINGERS2020, and I don't think they've updated their discount code yet, but it's 9FINGERS2020, save 20% off your purchase, and uh, right now is the best time to go buy broadheads because uh, here pretty soon, we all need to start shooting, we need to be tuning our broadheads. You can't just go from a a field point to a broadhead and expect it to fly the same, right? Right you know a lot of companies say flies just like a field point they don't you need to tune them um, and that's with all broadheads right uh, minimal even if it's minimal right you still want to test your broadheads before you go out into the timber uh, and uh, you know might as well do it with a wasp so there's that we've done the commercial we've done the editing uh, whatever uh, we're ready to go vance bowman is the guest today and it's a badass podcast so uh enjoy ladies and gentlemen three two one all right on the phone with me today mr vance bowman vance how we doing man
1: doing great dan how are you
0: you know I, like i told you before we started recording it is 42 degrees uh out here in iowa today after about a week of single digits and um uh, I didn't, I didn't get outside and uh, really do a good job the last week when it snowed, so I was out there in my t-shirt today uh, just ch- uh, chipping ice off of my driveway and scooping the re- remainder of the slush off my driveway so it doesn't freeze again, and uh, man, I almost feel like I should be out there getting some sun in, uh, with swim trunks on.
1: I, I can imagine uh, what spring fever hits. It's got to be crazy living yeah. up in
0: Iowa. Yeah, yeah. and uh, this is the most snow that I can remember having in a long time. And uh, I think you mentioned that before we started recording also that uh, this is one of the coldest winters that you've ever uh, like lived through.
1: Yeah, last week specifically we had several, I think five or six straight mornings negative temps. And I've probably only in my lifetime of 50 years experienced maybe a handful of mornings where it was negative temperatures. Yeah. And on top of that, we had a 10-inch snow on Sunday. I think it was the seventh. No, it was uh, it was Valentine's Day, the 14th. And then on Wednesday, we had another 8 inches on top of that, which is the most snow that I've ever seen in my life, and in a, in a short period of time anyway, for sure. Yeah. So So, it's been really cold. We're finally thawing out. We're almost 70 degrees here today.
0: That is crazy. Like I remember when I was living in Alabama and I, I, uh, would call up to my uh, mom or my dad and I'd be like, Hey, what's it like up there? They're like, Oh, it's about 15 degrees outside today. You know, we just, it's overcast. And meanwhile, down in, uh, down in Alabama where I was living, it was like, 65 and i like i don't even know if i wore a uh, a heavy jacket all year uh, when i was living yeah down there. my
1: my best friend <laughs> lived in south mississippi and i lived down there for almost five years and the difference between even there
0: and oklahoma is is quite stark i yeah. mean it's a, it's a huge difference in the weather yeah so so you got you had all these cold temps and you had uh i mean on an average year right i think it was 2020, no, it was 2019. Uh, I sat through what I believe would have been the coldest rut that I've ever been a part of. Uh, that was like, I had a week there where it was 10, you know, in, in the mornings it was negative, you know, like negative 12 and the high would be like four or 10 or something like that for about four or five days straight. And, wow. um, and that was tough sitting so when you know growing up in the south you know texas and, and now living in oklahoma as far as temperatures are concerned what's the average you know uh rut temperatures look like for you
1: oh probably you're, you're talking mid-november so you're looking at 50s for the highs yeah. and probably 30s 20s upper 20s and 30s for the lows yeah that time of year
0: yeah so. It's kind of it's kind of funny though, you know. You you're used to a temperature all year round, so your body gets used to it. And uh, I can remember going down to Miami, Florida, for a football game several years ago, and we show up, and here we are, tank tops and and, bo- and board shorts, and and uh, we're just thinking this is awesome. And everybody that was living down there was in like start like big heavy coats and sweatpants and stocking (laughs) caps and it was like 60 degrees outside I'm like what are you guys doing this is beautiful weather
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so yeah man um talk to me a little bit about uh where you hunt in Oklahoma walk us through the terrain walk us through the environment the the ecosystem that you call your hunting lands
1: okay well I I actually hunt on 160 acres that uh, a family, I'm a pastor here in central Oklahoma. I've been a pastor for 22 years. Um, but some people in my church own this land or they live on it. They own part of it and live on 160. It is actually land that, that uh, the, the landowner's grandpa or great grandpa got in the land run. Okay. In the late 1800s. And so, Uh, It's been in their family for years and years and years. Their kids don't hunt. They've let me hunt this place for about, I think, the last 18 years I've been hunting there. Um, And so I'm just really blessed, first of all, by them. They don't charge me a thing to hunt. Um, They pretty much let me have the run of the place and uh, it's been pretty good there's been some hiccups the last few years and I can tell you a little bit more about that uh, as we go along but it is uh, it's central Oklahoma it's uh, about an hour southeast of Oklahoma City uh, where I hunt Um, it's uh, pretty close to the river the South Canadian uh, River where I'm I'm about a quarter mile north of the river uh, this 160 is and there's a creek that runs through the middle of it it's kind of broken country there's some Big pastures, which are just hay fields. Uh, no agriculture anywhere around there. Years ago, they used to lease out part of their property to a, a watermelon farmer because the soil is so sandy. That's about all you can grow there, you know, as far as a crop, watermelons and, and uh, uh, cantaloupes. Gotcha. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's just some little small wood lots. There's, there's timber along the creek. Um And that's just kind of where it is. not a lot of oaks. There's uh, pecans and hickories and walnuts, but there's not really – not very many oaks. There's a handful of oaks on the place, but it's not very many.
0: Yeah. Um, I tell you what (laughs) – listening to you talk I, I there's another guy in iowa i know who's a preacher and then another guy god he might be in wisconsin or michigan i can't remember but they're they're preachers as well and uh-huh. they pretty much just tell me people throw their land at us like you know right. like hey come home <laughs> oh, my property come, you know like you're a good christian why don't you come come home my property <laughs> and i'm just like man maybe uh, i need to start thinking about uh you know getting into the ministry
1: Yeah, you need to maybe enroll in seminary.
0: Right, right. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if I hey, I tell you what, if I could pick up uh, some primo ground in south Southern Iowa, man, I might think about it.
1: Uh, I can imagine. I I wish it was you know that easy. I I have had a couple places through the years, um, but for the last fifteen years, I've pretty much hunted this place exclusively. Yeah, Yeah. Um, it's really the only place I go. There's some public up north of me about an hour is the closest um and there's some to the southwest of me about an hour The closest public and i just haven't hunted those much because i'm spoiled with this place yeah you know, there's there's quite a few deer and um it, it's just been a it's been easy you know
0: yeah yeah well let me ask you this you mentioned that you got a kind of a uh a, a, a big feature running through the area and you're a quarter mile away from this river all right and there's mm-hmm. are in a creek that comes uh through the property does that creek eventually run into that river yes okay so let me ask you this do do you feel that that river that big feature that cuts across the land has an impact on how deer move through your property even when it's like a quarter mile away
1: i think so yeah i you know especially during the pre-rut but even this this past season um all through the season I, I would get picks on my trail cams of bucks I didn't recognize. And I, I really think they just moved through that general river bottom area Yeah, uh, a lot, you know, um, th- you get a few deer that are home bodies that stay right there in the local area. You get picks of them year after year after year. I've got a deer I'm chasing right now that that's, uh, this year was a third year. I got pics of him. I still never laid eyes on him, but he's there every year. And, uh, but I think there there are also those, I guess what you call bonus bucks that show yeah. up, yeah, just uh, unexpected.
0: You never seen them before, and there they are. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this right now. I think that one of the big reasons why my farm produces the farm that I hunt during the rut produces so many good deer that come constantly come in and out, and why the the late rut, you know, that second half of November in Iowa brings in all these bonus bucks for me is because of that water feature that cuts across the property and it makes a couple really good pinch points, you know, where it takes a hard turn yeah. and creates a steep bank and, and all these terrain features that lead to deer kind of just following this Creek. And at some, you know, at some point in time, they're going to run across one of my trail cameras. And, um, uh, like, I, I feel like I need to learn how to hunt that better.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, so,
1: Me too. I mean, of course, I've been on this place for a long time. So I I pretty much know how the deer are going to move, you know, and they've been really consistent for a long, long time. Yeah.
0: Let me Um, me ask you this on 160 acres. Now, some guys from out east will look at that and go, man, that's a huge chunk, right? That's a big, I wish I had 160 acres to hunt like me. I'm um, pretty indifferent I'd call that about an average you know maybe a little bit over average you know one of my other farms I hunt so 101 acres um, but you've been hunting it a long time and I find myself sometimes getting into these ruts where I've hunted a property so long I get complacent with historical information like the deer were here last year and the year before and and, well now they're in a different spot or or something have you ever have you ever gotten complacent on that farm and maybe made the mistake of um sitting in uh, an area too many years in a row
1: oh yeah yeah there's no doubt um a lot of the place that i hunt is is there's there's some big pastures and then there's little small chunks of woods And like I said, it's really wooded along the creek line. And um, it's very easy to get into a rut of just, man, I've got a fixed stand in this spot. The deer always come through there. And uh, you just go time after time after time. Something that really flipped a switch for me was uh, just really, and this is going to sound kind of ignorant maybe, but really paying attention to the wind. Now that seems, I know, juvenile for a, a, a white tailed hunter. You should always pay attention to the wind. And while I had always paid attention to it, I mean, I've got a couple places now that I won't even go over there to check a camera if the wind isn't right, because I know the deer are bedded not too far away. And if the wind isn't right, I'm gonna, I may not see them in there for two weeks if I go in there. And so um, that kind of that kind of has switched for me probably in the last 10 years and it's really made a difference in my hunting
0: yeah well i'll tell you what man one of the biggest uh awakenings that i had as a as a bow hunter i used to just be like okay uh you know learning how to hunt the wind but not just the wind what it's doing 20 feet away from your stand right a lot of guys and and don't Mm -hmm. don't say you're ignorant. Because there's a lot of people out there that still do not understand this, right? I think what happens is we, we assume that the wind is going to just carry over everything at a straight west angle for everything right well right, they don't they right. don't know about thermals and they don't know about how terrain or vegetation or you know how these things change from you know leaves on the tree versus no leaves on the tree and i think as a right. hunter or what makes someone really good at reading that is just observing that right just watching deer reaction watching how your access routes and all the all these crazy things and I think for me once I learned how to make those adjustments and and I guess witness that and understand that that's when I became what I I think is better I went from an average bow hunter to you know I just I'm caring I'm comparing me against me an average bow hunter to uh, a better than average bow hunter
1: right right
0: absolutely so um so what did the learning curve on this farm look like for you
1: well it's pretty steep um when i first started hunting there years ago of course i was about 30 at that time and i had quite a few deer under my belt with a rifle but i had never killed a deer with my bow and um, i actually didn't get a bow until i was probably in my late 20s. Um, and I would just kind of casually bow hunt and I was expecting it to be the same as gun hunting and it's a totally and completely different animal, yeah. uh, as you well know. And, uh, it, it took me quite a while to, to learn, uh, that property and learn how to bow hunt at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, uh but I, I'll never, I mean, the first time you run a, an arrow through a deer and, uh, and you, you get a hold, get your hands on that animal. It's uh, it's quite an exhilarating experience. And so uh, I I started bow hunting around the same time I started uh, hunting this property and just learning how the deer moved. And and I killed a few deer with my rifle there and still wasn't having any success with the bow. And it wasn't really until I made up my mind, look, I'm not going to even hunt with a rifle anymore. I'm just going to hunt with a bow until I learn how to kill a deer with a bow, you know? Right. And then it was a spike and I've got a handful of year and a half olds that I killed with my bow and, and quite a few does that I killed with my bow. And then I finally, probably about 10 years ago, I decided, look, I'm, I want to kill something that's bigger than a year and a half old with my bow, you know? And I had to learn to just pass up those smaller deer. Yeah. It's, it let, the only way you're going to get the big ones is let the little ones go, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it was quite an evolution for me as a, as a, as a hunter.
0: Yeah. Did you ever go through any periods of like just pure frustration? Like, why am I not getting this right? What am I doing wrong? And like, like coming to dead ends on strategy and anything like that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. How'd you I get did, through that? Just total frustration. Just really starting to study what I was doing as a hunter. I mean, I knew the deer were there uh, and just paying more attention on, as to getting on, getting on the right trails, only hunting with the right wind um, and that sort of thing really started to to make a difference. You know, I, like I said, I, I grew up a gun hunter. That's all we were in North Central Texas. And, uh, the, the bow and arrow was quite a different
0: challenge. Yeah. yeah. So I know in Oklahoma you can use feeders and, and I think you can bait, right? In Oklahoma? Yes. Okay. You can. Did you or do you still take advantage of that strategy?
1: I do I don't bait. Okay. Um but but the landowners now there's another guy that hunts the same property that I hunt and he does bait. Um and, and I'll put corn out, you know, uh in September trying to get an inventory of the bucks that are around. Um But as far as during the season, I don't put corn out and hunt over it. I've never seen a big buck standing at a corn pile. Yeah. Or standing at a feeder in my life. And so I just never have really uh, thought of that as as a big strategy. Some guys it works for, man. Some guys kill a deer every year at a feeder. And it's just never worked for me. But I do. uh, The landowner lets me use their tractor, and I plant a couple of food plots. Oh, nice. Uh, every year i have for probably the last eight or ten years
0: did you Um, notice a difference like in deer behavior and deer movement once you started planting food on the property
1: yes um the 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 properties that surround this piece that i hunt are all cattle properties except for the, the ones to the north um and so east west and south are all cattle properties nobody plants anything for the deer and so late season, especially I'll have quite a few deer and I'll have there again, but bonus bucks showing up that I haven't ever seen before. And I think it's because of the food.
0: Okay. Well, that's good, man. And, and anytime you can get deer to stay at home on your property for as, I guess, as long as, as long as it takes, man, that's a win. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So, uh, Let's talk about this uh, specific deer uh, that you, and I think you mentioned you shot him in 2018, right? Right. Right. And how many years of history did you have with this buck?
1: That was my fourth year first picks i got of him were 2015
0: 2015 okay 2015 2016 2017 and you killed him in 2018 all right so let's let's just start at the beginning of this uh story with this deer um in 2015 how old was this buck um and did he even interest you at all
1: Uh,
0: i believe he was
1: two and a half that year and and no in fact i passed him a couple times that year okay um he came by me a couple different times and he just, at that point, he was wasn't what I was looking for. I had, I'd shot a really good deer in 2014 and it was one of those deals. I don't know if my broadhead opened too soon. I don't know if I just hit him in the leg bone, or, but I only got about two inches of penetration and he went off with the arrow flopping. And then I found the arrow and got pictures of the deer, really giant eight point, probably in the hundred to me. 140 to 150 range gotcha um, just a, just a big wide tall eight point got pictures of him later never um never saw him i was really um then i killed a pretty good eight point in 2015 um and in 2017 i shot the same deer that i shot in 2014 and never found him. um the landowner's dog drove up a ahead and they didn't even tell me about it for months. And he chewed the rack, all to pieces. And I believe, I believe it was that deer. Okay. Um, he had an injury on the opposite side of where I'd hit him. Um, and he had a little drop time and his, his rack grew differently after that, but the right side was exactly the same. So it's, well that's a long story, but we, to talk about the deer I killed in 2018, I had to kind of tell you that. So I was still hunting, that deer the one I'd shot in 2014 and another deer uh in 2015 when I first got pics of this this deer and so gotcha uh,
0: so he he didn't make he really didn't make the radar per se you knew you knew of him um explain his rack in 2015 just so we have this uh this visual of this two-year-old
1: he's probably 14 15 inches wide he's just a little just a seven point nothing um uh, magnificent about it g g2s were probably only five inches long you know he the one side he had a g3 on was probably it was probably two or three inches long he just a little basket rack seven yeah. point
0: yep so then you know you, you went through the season you passed him several times um you know going into you know what i i know what i do if i ever run across a deer like this that you know i pass him you know he's a two-year-old he's a three-year-old whatever uh i pass him and uh i just i almost forget about him I i don't even think about him until the next year uh where i say okay well this is the same buck as the previous year um i'm gonna you know i'm gonna try to you know now i'm gonna start thinking about him a little bit now i'm gonna start seeing where he's going from, I'm going to watch my trail cameras. I'm going to, you know, use all the sightings to help me identify this bucks movement. And even though he might not hit the radar again, that next year, at least I'm, I'm learning about him. I'm learning about his activities and his range and his um, routine and, and whatnot in 2016. Um, when did he show back up again? And then was he on your radar again or not for uh, 2016?
1: Well, he showed up, um, during the season, actually, probably in the pre-rut, sometime in October, um, is when I started getting a few pics of him, and uh, he was a little bit bigger than he was at two and a half. I think he was three and a half in twenty sixteen. Um, G three was a little longer, but he was still I, he wasn't something I was I was going to shoot at that point. Um, but it was pretty cool that I, I did. I mean, his rack was recognizable and I could tell that it was the same deer that I had pictures of the year before. So, yeah. um, I pretty much had my mind made up. I was still hunting a couple of different other deer and I was, I was going to let him go if he came by me. And he actually did come by me one time in 2016 and I let him go then.
0: Right. You know, sometimes a deer can grow out of a, you know, a, a seven point, right? Sometimes they'll make a nine or sometimes they'll make an eight right. or, or whatever, or even they'll bump up to a 10, some, you know, whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's cool. And I'm looking at the pictures here. That is undoubtedly the same deer every single year. You know, there's some deer where it would be hard to tell, but this is just the same deer with a little bit bigger of a rack every single year and every um, year. Yep. Every year. And so in 2016, he, uh, he didn't make your radar either. He, He wasn't a shooter. Right. Okay. Right. So at this point, did you start thinking about him at all? Or, or is he just kind of, oh, hey, there's that goofy seven that's running around?
1: You know, when he, when he came by me in 2016, I can remember specifically thinking, man, if that deer gets another year or two on him,
0: he's going to be, a, you know, a,
1: sh- a buck I'm going to want to shoot. Right, right. And, uh, and But I wasn't, not in 2016, I wasn't interested in him.
0: Okay. Did you, did he, did he have a home range? I mean, he didn't show up until you know that pre-rut time frame for you in 2016 did he have did you think he was a a local deer or did he come in from a, a different core area
1: you know at that point i i didn't know and honestly i still don't know um what what the situation there was with the home range because i had gotten pictures in 2015 and he was on the place i got pictures in october uh, in pre rut 2016. Um, but I still didn't, I didn't know, you know I mean? That was the only time I was getting, I wouldn't get any, any preseason picks of him at that time. Um, nothing in August and September. Um, he was a deer that was showing up in October and November at that point.
0: Okay. Um, so how many encounters did you have with him in 2016? He, just one just the one yeah. and you passed him just one time mm-hmm. okay yeah all right uh did he show up on camera anytime after that or when was the next time that you kind of thought about him or saw him or did you find any sheds or anything like that from him
1: um 20 i didn't find any sheds I, i've never been a huge shed hunter right um we have we have a lot of feral hogs we got lots of squirrels and our deer tend to not drop until a lot of times mid-March. I've got pictures in mid-March of bucks sparring in front of a camera.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I don't know if there's some rut still going on at that point. I know this past season, uh, opening day, October 1, I saw 19 does and fawns. I had, at one time, I had 19 deer in one of my food plots wow. at the same time. Yeah. And there were some fawns that were little bitty. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've been hunting long enough. I know what, you know, what a fawn looks like when they're a few months old, born in May or June when the deer season gets there. But these deer, these, these fawns look like they had been born maybe in August. Yeah. You know, they, they were little bitty guys and I don't know if we've just have too many does. I try to take a few off every year, you know, Yeah. but I don't know what's going on on the properties around me.
0: So that's a pretty interesting uh, observation because this year was the very first year I had ever so you know in this this uh, May June time frame when the little ones start showing up on trail cameras with their mamas and mm-hmm. uh, you know there's these little cute little animals and then you watch them kind of grow up as the same doe comes to the the mineral station every you know for me it's the mineral station and uh, you can kind of watch them grow up and then this year, just like what you said, I think it was August when the spots are just starting to get off of these fawns, and now, now you're starting to get into, um, you know, this, these, these yearling deer. There was a one one doe, and she looked kind of small compared to the rest of the does that had a um, a fawn with her. That was it. Looked like she was three months behind every other fawn. That was there. So that, that's had me thinking about, you know, when did this doe get bred? If this, her fawn is this little, and I'm thinking like January or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. That's, that's, I guess that's three months past the, that, but in the past, I, I have one time, maybe two times in my entire hunting season or uh, career, I guess you could say, observed what they call like the second rut or the third rut or something like that, whatever. It was one of the last, I had a real good cold fun. I, I found some standing corn on a property. I got access to hunt it and I went into the timber just a little bit and I witnessed some chasing, some rutting, uh, some rutting activity, some breeding uh, and uh, a doe got bred in front of me uh, probably about fifty yards by this, uh, you know, two probably two or three year old buck, real young, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm just thinking, well, if they're doing it two months after the normal rut, then you know, obviously there's going to be some babies popping up then. So it, you know, it's just. Uh, maybe that maybe that doe wasn't ready the first time because she was a uh I don't know a year old doe I don't know but it's it's interesting to see those observations in the woods anyway
1: yeah it's it's pretty cool yeah
0: so all right so in twenty uh in 2016 you kind of he wasn't on your radar uh, what about 2017 in
1: 2017 going into the season I thought that if if I saw him you know by the end i I, I thought he would be four and a half and i was looking forward to seeing him and, uh, and 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 thinking in my mind that if he grew a little more that it might be a deer i'd be interested in but i never saw him in 2017
0: not one time
1: and i don't think i got any pics of him
0: okay in 2017 and i
1: don't i don't i don't know where he was
0: so you, know? you sent no. me a picture of a velvet seven pointer that looks mm-hmm. like he's bigger than the is that from 2017 or no No, No,
1: that's, that's 20, that's the fall. That's 2018. Okay.
0: I gotcha. All right. So 2015, he's a dink, you know, just not interested. 2016, he's bigger, but still nothing that you want to shoot. So you're telling me 2017, he doesn't even show up at all. Right. No trail camera pictures of him. No encounters. Any neighbors talk about him at all? No, no, no. So no date on it. Nope. None at all, man. So what, when was the next time that you got any picks of this buck then?
1: So, uh, August, 2018, um, I got a mineral station and, uh, he and a, a 10 point started showing up really regularly. Right. and uh, throughout the month of August and then September comes, they shed the velvet and he's gone again. I don't I don't know where he I don't know where he went. I was thinking he was more of a homeboy at that point because I was getting summertime pics of him. Um, but there have been years where I get summertime pics of a, a buck two or three years in a row, but he's gone during the fall. He goes somewhere else for his rut, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I was hopeful that I would I would see him. He had rutted there before, you know, in twenty fifteen and sixteen, and so I was hopeful that I would I would get a shot at him you know, going into 2018.
0: Okay. So you, the next picture that you had of him was, uh, 20, the summer, August, he stuck around for a little bit, shed his velvet and split. And then, so you knew he was alive. So there's still that chance that he, he shows up on the property. Um, were there any other deer in 2018 that, uh, you were kind of had your, had your eye on at all?
1: Well, the the ten point that he was running with was a pretty good deer too. It, okay. it was probably a sixteen or seventeen inch spread, probably eight inch G twos, six inch G threes. Looked like a mature deer, at least four and a half. Right. So that was a deer that if he had come by, I would have I would have flung an arrow at him too. You know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I guess then you know you now we start to fast forward into the hunting season. Um, when did he show up again?
1: Well, I, I caught a glimpse of him, um, in October, early October, early season, uh, one evening. Um, but it was, he was a long ways away, 200, 300 yards. Um, I didn't grunt or anything at him, you know, because it was such, it was really early. I want to say it was before the 10th of October. Right. And, uh, I didn't think he was you know, ready for a fight, but what was interesting was I was, I was hardly getting any pictures of any other bucks on the property. mm mm-hmm. I mean, I get some really small ones, but nothing else that was even close to mature. And I think at that point he had kind of set up that 160 acres and maybe some of the surrounding uh, properties. This was his core range. He was keep he was the, the bull of the woods uh, of that area at, at
0: the time. Okay. So with that said, then uh, did he did he like from trail camera pictures did he start to show up more regular or was he in and out?
1: He was just kind of in and out. Okay. I, and I think, think he probably knew where my cameras were, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think, I think he was probably pretty good at that point uh, of avoiding the cameras because yep. I think I only got one picture of him in hard horn.
0: Okay. Um, so, okay. So in 2018, he, he, he comes back just a glimpse. What was he doing uh, when you saw him that 200 yards away? How was he working through the property?
1: He was he was kinda of in the center of the property and he was just going down a little a tree line edge on a pasture, hay hay pasture. Okay. Um and and it's a pretty well traveled area, kind of it's a it's a funnel that a lot of the deer through the years travel through. It wasn't the spot I was hunting that evening, but but I, I could see him at a distance. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Um did that give you any like inkling to, to move a tree stand over there or like focus on that area? Or did you kind of feel it was just, uh, uh like a one-time passage for him?
1: Well, if, if it was 2020, I probably would have moved and put a stand up over there. Um, I, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, get more mobile with my hunting. I've mm-hmm. been, uh, like we talked about earlier it's been very easy to get into the rut of plant your food plots put your stands up yep. only go in when the wind's right and you kind of get spoiled but i do think i'm missing out on some deer that if i get a little more mobile i'll have have some some shots at so but in 2018 no i, I didn't move a stand or anything i just kept going to my my spots but only only and i wanna emphasize this only when the wind was right
0: yeah
1: Uh, i would not go and i and i it this that was a hard thing for me to come to to grips with because being a guy that that works and has worked all my life and we we raised three kids my kids by 2018 they're pretty much all grown all three of them are in college right now so pray for my pocketbook but (laughs) uh, uh you know when when the kids were small I just went hunting when I could right. And I, and I didn't, I, I, in doing so you can't really pay attention to the wind as much as you would want to, because it's like, if I'm going to go, this is the only chance I've got to go. And, uh, you know, you try to set up for where you'll have a, a stand to hunt if the winds from the South or the North or the West or whatever. Uh, but that was not always feasible. Sometimes you don't have enough money to have a bunch of stands. And so you just, you, you hunt when you can at that point. And so, no, I, I, I'm trying to be more mobile. In fact, this past year, man, I bought me a, a lone wolf and I got me some climbing sticks and, uh, I never put them in the tree, but I've got them.
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're on, you're on the brink of being young again. Once, <laughs> once you get the once you start using that, you're going to feel like you're 20 again, 30 again.
1: Uh, I hope, I hope so. I, I'm just, I guess the, the, the fear of the unknown has got a hold of me and I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to get out there. And by the time I get up, get everything set up and get up in the tree, I'll be too worn out to hunt, you know?
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Hey, I mean, there's, there's days I'm like that. So, um, so let's talk about when he started showing up again in in 2018. Uh, Was it one of these things where, Oh, there he is. Then you shoot him or did you have a couple encounters with him before uh, you let an arrow go?
1: No, it it, it was one of those deals where he just, I I mean, I knew he was in the area. Um, I didn't not, I don't ever see any other bow hunters down in the area, except for the other guy that hunts on the property with me. And so uh, I didn't think he had been killed yet uh, through, through October. Um, We do have a muzzleloader season. It's usually the last week of October. Um, But I bow hunted through the muzzleloader season, didn't hear any shots in the area. Um, and, and, so on November the 8th of 2018, I was in what I consider to be my, my best spot, favorite spot. It's where I've seen a lot of big deer through the years. Right. And, um, uh, there were some does that were working their way toward me. Um, uh, they were about a hundred yards out and he came from the Creek, uh, eastward and he comes over there and he starts harassing those does. And I'm thinking, Man, see, I hope he'll come because I could see him. I'm, I'm looking through, kind of through a pecan tree, uh, but I, I'm i catching glimpses of him. I recognize the rack and I'm thinking, man, I, I sure hope he comes this way. You know, you never know what they're going to do when they're nudging does around. And uh, evidently he kind of tired of messing around with those does. I guess none of them were ready. Yeah. So, uh, after about 15 minutes of that, I mean, he harassed them over in that area, about a hundred yards from me. I'm watching for about 15 minutes. He finally starts, he just left them and starts headed my way. And when he did, it was like, he was headed toward where he knew the next group of does was Yeah. because he's, he's coming my way and he's not even, he's almost at a trot and he, he comes into the, just the barely into the edge of my food plot. He never puts his nose down, never stops. And uh, he goes behind a cedar tree. I draw my bow. He's and he comes out behind it, and and I gave him the mac, you know. Yeah. And, and he didn't he didn't even slow down. I mac again, and he still didn't slow down. And the third time, I almost yelled. <laughs> and I got really loud, and he threw the brakes on, and uh, and I shot him right behind the shoulder. Um, he made a little looping circle about fifty yards, and I watched him fall. Wow. It was, uh, it was
0: pretty, pretty intense. I'll tell you this, man. I've seen, I've seen some bucks do some weird things. And I think obviously they're more in tune with their environment and their ladies, uh, than we are obviously. And I, I've witnessed the same thing where I had a, a buck I'd been chasing for several years, uh, and there was these does that were coming through. And he, they were kind of staged in this little area before they started to walk by my tree stand at like 25 yards. And mm-hmm. he went up the hill just a little bit and he could scent check every one of those does that walked by. And eventually all those does walked 25 yards from my stand. And he stood there and he just watched in that area and those does must not have been ready. Uh, So he didn't even follow him. He just turned around and he walked completely the opposite direction. And, uh, I'm sure he was off to the next, uh, you know, the next doe bedding area and that was going to be his cycle. And this was, this was a a late October scenario, right? You know, a pre, a pre-rut type scenario. And, uh, it's just amazing that, that, that they have the willingness and it, you know, a three-year-old or a two-year-old probably would have just been up their butt chasing them, right? Just you know, kept going at them, and even though they're not ready, right. but this guy, he was, you know, eight or eight years old at the time, I think, and uh, he he knew exactly what was going on, and you know, he's like, "Well, I'm not going to stick around and and do this foreplay yeah, thing I'm gonna when I don't have to." That's right. That's I'm not right. Waste my time on these girls; they're not ready to play. That's know? right. So you shot this buck. You had all this history, you know. You have some history with him. What's it like for you when you shoot a deer that you have history with?
1: Well, really, he was the first one yeah. that that I that I killed with with a bow that I had, you know, even more than one year of history with. And so it was just super fulfilling as a hunter. Yeah. You know, this is a deer. I've I passed him three times, twice when he was two and a half once when he was three and a half. Didn't see him at all when he was four and a half. I had his teeth aged. He was five and a half, or that's what it looks like anyway, as far as the the, the teeth, teething thing. And so, um, it, it was just super fulfilling to, to kill a mature deer with my bow. And I had killed a couple mature deer before that with my bow. But this was the first time, I mean, I've, you know, I've seen this deer. I've got pictures of him for a few years now, and and to to put your hands on his rack you know and his his body was at that time by far the biggest body deer i'd ever killed he's got a big old brood of a neck on him um for our area we uh, that area i told you you know there's no really there's not any crop fields we don't we don't have any much agriculture there um I think I sent you a picture of what, what I think is the biggest buck I ever have a picture of in 18 years of hunting this place. And it's probably only about 150 inch 10 point. Yeah. So I I have a friend that killed a deer probably two miles from there that probably would go in the mid one seventies. That was a non-typical, but I just don't, I haven't seen through the years, these giant, you know, 170, 175, 180 inch deer. Uh, we just don't see them. I don't get pictures of them. There may be one or two around, but I don't see them, you know, and so, but to kill a mature deer with my bow that I had history with was just, it just made my, made my year, you know, as far as from a bow hunting perspective.
0: Yeah. And i tell you what, man, I've, man, I, I've chased them for sure. I've chased them, but I haven't ever gotten into the, uh, you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever killed. Oh, I take that back. No, I didn't. I've never, I've I've killed a deer that I found the sheds to, I, um, that I never passed, but I've never killed a deer that I've had this huge amount of history with. Now I've shot one and he lived and then the neighbor shot him the next year, but I've never, I've never really got into the one buck only mentality or the, you know, or I've never had the deer that I wanted to kill walk by me um, at at that time. It's something that I, I would love to do at some point, but right. I guess I'm you know I have I always kind of go with the top tier. Like here's the top five deer. If if it's below that, I'm not going to shoot them. If it's uh, one of these these hit listers, then or a bonus buck like we've talked about, then I'll throw an arrow at them. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot anything smaller, and I'm not gonna hold out for one buck when I know that there's other, you know, like 150-inch right. deer running around. Right. So right. Or right in what front of me.
1: What's cool about that deer, what's interesting to me about that deer, after I shot him, within a week, I had pics of three other really nice bucks. Yeah. Um, that I never saw, but I don't know if it was because he was keeping everything, all the other bucks run out of there, you know. Uh, but it just just so happened the week after he's killed I get I start getting all these pictures of all these other big deer. that was during the rut I understand that, but I don't get tons of big deer picks even during the rut you know yeah. uh, I, I do get a few but it was the same camera. I don't know if there was a hot doe in the area, but I got a really big ten point, a really big eight point uh, and then a smaller eight point that's three and a half it was three and a half in 2018. I've got pics of him now for three years and I haven't, I've never laid eyes on him. Yeah. Um, nocturnal deer. Um, I think his home range is, he just barely touches the North end of our property and, uh, I've just never, never seen
0: him, but he's, he's a giant eight point. He's really nice. Yeah, man. I tell you, there's something about, I don't know. I, I, I get geeked out when I hear stories, uh, like yours, man. I, uh, just, I, you can tell I can tell you're passionate about it I can tell you love to do it um, and then when I hear stories uh, like this where it all comes together for people who are passionate and and uh, dude I just like that gets me just as excited as if I you know if it was you know if it happened to me so uh, yeah you know yeah. and can, I
1: mean I was bro I was so I was so charged up and jazzed up when I shot that beer I mean I immediately started calling and texting everybody I and mean, he was laying out there 70 yards from my stand and and i'm texting and calling everybody that i can think of and uh you know he's just for most guys especially these guys that are killing these giant deer every year uh he's just a seven point he probably he's i hadn't had him officially scored but i had some people look at him they said probably in the 120s is all he is he's 18 and a half inside he's got some pretty decent mass on him g2s are only about seven or eight inches long the 1g3 is about three or four inches long and that's i mean that's all he that's all he ever was was a seven point yeah but uh you know having the history and and chasing and passing him and then finally putting an arrow through him was it was probably so far the most fulfilling thing i've done in the deer woods
0: man that's awesome well congratulations Vance man really appreciate you taking time to come on and share this story with us and BS with us for taking a little time, bit man. um and I tell you what good luck in this upcoming season man
1: same to you Dan man it's great talking to you
0: and there you have it we're done another episode in the books hopefully you guys have enjoyed your friday or whether your friday's just kicking off or you're winding your friday down hopefully you have a good weekend my goal is to get out and do some shed hunting Uh, i thought about going to the iowa deer classic but i'll be completely honest with you the weather's looking beautiful so i think i'm going to skip it and uh, hit up the woods with the family and try to find some antlers man Uh, i bow or bow hunting is awesome And I love it on the top of my list, but a very close second is shed hunting. I don't know why, but it's one of my favorite things to do. So I'm going to get out and try to enjoy Mother Nature this weekend with the family. Please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Uh, Follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles, both places. Be good, spread good vibes, spread love, love your neighbor, help your neighbor. All those things, man, it's important to do that because uh, not only... If you're feeling shitty and you make someone else happy, that's going to make you happy as well. So uh, be good, be kind, give back, and we'll talk to you next week.